but theories of like, oh, maybe his body was destroyed by animals or maybe somebody robbed him. And, and again, it might seem strange to us, but the symbol of those linens neatly folded actually are a great proof and testimony that his body wasn't robbed, that animals hadn't come and drug him away. There's no way that these claws would have survived such a thing. And so Peter and John, they see this and they recognize, oh my gosh, Jesus isn't here. His body hasn't been robbed and animals haven't come to destroy him. They haven't seen the risen Jesus yet. But it seems from what we can gather from the text so far, there's something in them that at least believes and or has hope that Jesus has rose from the grave. And this morning we get to look at uh, Jesus and Mary. And this is an incredible passage of scripture. And John is so vivid in his details. And, um, and so we're going to read through it this morning. And we're going to go a little bit faster than was originally planned. Uh, but I don't want to rush some things. John sometimes, again, re- writes in such a way that I think it's important for us to slow down. For us even to close our eyes and to imagine. And I know some of you hate exercises like this. And uh, I love you, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, and so I'm going to actually invite you to close your eyes as we read through this text together and imagine what's happening. I'm going to pray for us as we do. Lord, we thank you for your word which you've given us and we thank you for how you've created the body to have and the mind to have an imagination. And right now we ask through your spirit, you would release our imagination to perhaps see and get glimpses of what it might have been like to be merry in this moment. So the scene is set. Peter and John have run in. It's early in the morning. The ground is probably wet. And there's fear, confusion, as these claws are there. And then John and Peter take off, and Mary's all alone. And in verse 11... But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, sobbing loud enough to cause a commotion. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Tears streaming down her face, most likely trying to grab her breath. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around dejected, probably confused perhaps, still sobbing. She sees a figure. She sees Jesus standing but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Woman, whom are you seeking? Mary so worked up, frazzled, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, 
Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. With almost panic and desperation in her voice. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Grief turned to grace, turned to joy. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. As you were imagining that scene, you can open your eyes if they're still closed. I'm, I'm curious, is there any moment that just leapt out at you? Or is there anything, is there, was there a moment where there was an emotion that was stirred? Or anything there from you guys? If not, that's okay too. This isn't something that's often practiced. Absolutely. And it's similar. I know we hear that word woman and with it kind of in more of a trap sure. possibly, but in this context, whenever Jesus uses the phrase women, mm-hmm. you can see that the Yeah. Yeah, and it's probably helpful for us to be reminded, sometimes it can be confusing in John that there's multiple Marys running around. This is Mary Magdalene, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so, but it can get, it can get, it can, you don't have to be sorry, it can get challenging. The few passages before this, I think there were four Marys that were listed, it was a very common name. I do think for me, if there was, um, I don't know, I'll just say top five to be safe. If there was a place where I could be a fly on the wall or a scene to watch in all of Scripture, this would be probably in the top five for me. 
when Jesus says Mary's name. Can you imagine what that would have been like? All right, we could stay in this space all morning, but we have to move. And so I'm going to walk through three phases quickly. We have Mary alone, Mary with the angels, and Mary with Jesus. Mary alone, we don't get a whole lot of backstory to why Mary is alone. Perhaps even John and Peter have actually missed the mark here. It's not a good idea to leave a woman alone early in the morning at a tomb. Uh, But perhaps they were a little bit overwhelmed themselves as they're trying to figure out what's happened with Jesus. And Mary's alone, and our text it says that Mary's weeping again. The the Greek is much stronger than that. It's like she's sobbing. Um, Like you guys ever, can you remember that moment as a kid or even maybe recently when something so tragic happened, you have like the, (laughs) like you can't catch your breath. It's kind of the picture we get with Mary for the last three days as she's witnessed Jesus being crucified on the cross, being laid in the tomb, and now it's all destroyed because somebody's come and disrupted Jesus' tomb. She's weeping. She's overcome with grief. might be helpful for us to remember who Mary is and where she's come from. Mary is the one in whom Jesus cast demons out of. She has been delivered. She was an outcast. She was seen as somebody who was not to be associated with. And Jesus, the king of the universe, went to her and has before called her by name and called her out of darkness and into the glorious light. This woman has been radically transformed by Jesus, so it makes sense that her world is turned upside down, that this grief has overcome her. And I think one of the things that I love here is, even right now, she is operating as though Jesus is dead, which would make sense because that's what happens to people when they die. They stay dead. But what I love seeing from Mary is even if Jesus remained dead, you can see this love, devotion, and adoration that almost makes me jealous. And then we have the moment with the angels. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Here, the, the story gets more interesting again. How, how interesting is it that Peter and John, Peter goes in the tomb, John stoops into the tomb. They don't get to see these angels. Were they there the whole time? N.T. Wright talks about how it's actually common throughout Scripture for angels to be seen through tears. Again, he's not trying to draw any sort of line. But here in this moment of, of weakness and weeping, these angels are here. Something a little bit fascinating about Mary's response or lack thereof here. It's like she almost, this is one of the few instances in Scripture where it seems like she doesn't care. Like we have no indication from the text in which John is giving us that Mary is barely even acknowledging these angels. It's clear that she understands that they're angels, but they certainly don't seem to be comforting her. Because she's not seeking angels, she's seeking her Lord. Mm -hmm. 
again, sometimes we can get so worked up in some of these moments. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a time in your life where perhaps you got emotional and you stopped thinking clearly. You stopped understanding the clear signs that were in front of you. I don't know about you. I've had some children. I myself was a child once where I, there were some things that happened where, like, for instance, my socks when I was a child. If that line was not perfectly over the knuckle, and if you, I do have knuckles on my toes, over the knuckles of my toes, I lost my ever-loving mind. And you couldn't talk me until those socks were fixed. You're not getting me to do anything. I'm not brushing my teeth. I'm not doing nothing until those socks are perfectly in order. Sometimes we can get so locked in with tunnel vision that we have a difficult time looking and seeing the signs that are right in front of us. Mary didn't recognize anything about the cloth. I don't care about any cloth. I want Jesus. Those cloths were a sign that Jesus had risen. Peter and John most likely recognized that as so. These angels sitting at the foot and at the head of where Jesus was laid are a sign to Mary that Jesus is not here. When they say, why are you weeping? It's, it's, it's almost as though if, you've, if you have children and you've tried to console your child when they are in a space of complete... Uh, I need to use appropriate language. Um, when they are in complete gonzo space, like, again, they are unreasonable. You can't find the stuffy that they want, and they won't go to sleep until that stuffy is right where they want it, or they weren't whatever, if, if it's their sock thing. or Sometimes they can, be ridicu- they can be so ridiculous that you can't help but, like, smile and be like, child, child, you're, you're missing it. Child, you're not, you're not resting in the truth. And when these angels say, woman, why are you weeping? It's, yes, they care. But this isn't just, this isn't just about, like, being nice to Mary. They're also, uh, like, if, if it could be done possibly with, like, a smile, like, a soft smile on their face. It's almost a rhetorical question of, woman, this actually isn't the time for weeping. I know your grief is extreme. But Mary, open your eyes. Your Jesus is not dead. He is alive. There's some really cool things going on with what John is writing here with the angels at the head and at the feet in Exodus 25. There's another um, holy... uh, thing that was carried around that contained the presence of the Lord. Anybody know what that was? Do you know what was at the head and the foot of the Ark of the Covenant? Cherubim, angels, on the head and the bottom, and the top was called the mercy seat. This is where the atonement was laid. The, the, on the day of atonement, the sins of all of Israel were placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in that, God authoritatively forgives the sins of his people. And here, John isn't just giving a a historical detail of what's happened as Jesus rose from the grave. He's also making a theological statement that Jesus is the true Ark of the Covenant. And it is not confound to a box. It is confound to a person. And his name is Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. The one in whom the presence, power, and authority of God resides. It's pretty cool.
But Mary, she's in a different space. She can't comprehend. She's not tracking. She, dejected, walks out of the tomb, and she looks around, and then there's this man. It's, again, it's early in the morning. There's probably twilight, dew on the ground. She has lost it. She can't see straight. There's so many tears, and I can't imagine she has many tears left to give, to be honest, after the days in which she's had. And she sees this man off in the distance, and she's still crying, so much so. That once again, this time Jesus, before she knows it's him. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary, in her distraughtness, she's still, she's supposing him to be a gardener, which we'll touch on this again real briefly, but there's some really cool things here, there as well, because the second mention of gardener. Oh, I gotta be careful. Here we go. Um, but here, Mary, she doesn't compute. She doesn't get it. And she's lost it to such a point that the very person she's seeking is actually right in front of him. And what does she do? She says, look, if you've done something with him, if, you, if you've moved his body, it's almost like, I won't tell anybody. Just tell me where he is. I'll bring him back. I don't know if we understand what Mary's saying here. She's saying, go take me to Jesus' body. Me, this little Jewish woman, I'm going to carry this grown, dead man back to this tomb. We have to see the frazzled state in which Mary's at. The lost, and all of us, we've been at this frazzled state, right? We've been at this moment where we can't think straight. Everything seems like it's falling apart. My life is ruined. I don't know what to do. Please give me a sign, please. And she's doing this to Jesus. There's the irony. And then one of the most beautiful moments in Scripture in the middle of her crazy. And again, she's not crazy. This, I, gotta, I, I apologize. That's a horrible, horrible thing to say. She's not being crazy. If Jesus were dead, this is the right response. She is not crazy. She's in a state of complete depravity. She's been lost. And after blowing up on this gardener, Accusing him of stealing Jesus' body. She turns away from the gardener. And tears still streaming. And then all that Jesus says. Mary. Can you imagine? In that moment. There are times when my kids have lost it, lost it. And. And there's like sometimes this magic moment where all of a sudden it, it clicks out. And there's this beautiful moment where your kid is like, oh, that's right, you're my parent who loves me. Oh, that's right, you care about me. And it's a beautiful moment. But that pales in comparison to this moment where she has lost it. And she thought all of life is lost. And then she hears her name. I can only imagine that heat starts pulsating through her entire body. I don't know if she turned around real quick. I don't know if her eyes got real big. I don't know what happened in that moment, but I can tell you for sure her grief at that moment was met with the most gracious gift ever. And there was no transitionary stage. <laughs> it wasn't like total mess, then less mess, then kind of less, less mess, less mess. Okay, now I'm good enough. It was like, no, in the middle of the most broken spot she's been. 
Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who knows his sheep by name, and his sheep know him when he says, Mary, she says, Rabboni, teacher. Whether she ran and jumped on him or started kissing his feet, we don't know what happened in that moment, necessarily. What happens next is a little bit of a strange encounter. But I want us to, I want us to recognize this woman in this spot, Mary, she is the first person that Jesus has revealed himself to in the flesh. And that is significant. Next, Jesus explains to her, hey, woman, do not touch me. And again, that could sound really like, whoa. Like first you just said like Mary and like met her in the most like beautiful way. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, hands off, lady. Uh, and it could seem that way. But Jesus, as he is the teacher, as he is the rabbi, he is continuing to teach his sister, which we'll get to in just a second, that there's more coming. That physically depending upon the body of Jesus, actually clinging to him physically is not going to be the way forward for the people of God. There will be another paraclete, a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come and who will be with the church and with us. And Jesus is trying to prepare her for that moment. And then Jesus gives Mary the first message to be preached on Easter. You can do with that with what you want if you have an issue. But he tells her to go tell the disciples something very, very important. She says, go to my brothers. This word brother, this really, really, the Greek even includes this. This is a plural, neutral verb or adjective here. This is including specifically brothers and sister. Go and tell the brothers and sisters, say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. The first message that Jesus wants his disciples, his sisters, and his brothers to understand is their identity now in Jesus. That they are part of the family of God. Male and female are included in the family of God. And when John wrote in, first, in John 1, 12, and he said, To as many as who received him or believed in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the fruition of that. He's not saying, now my dad, my father, without it being your father. We're not even given like step, it's not like your stepdad. It's not like half privilege. No, my father and your father. Jesus is introducing the new family of God to my God and your God and fulfilling Old Testament prophecy of old. Where he says, I will be their God. They will be my people. I will make my dwelling among them. They are brought into the household of God. And as Jesus rose from the grave, he validated all of the things in which he had spoken up until this point.
Their identity is forever changed. Our identities are changed and we belong to this family. It's fascinating. And worship team, you guys can come on up. And we have to move quickly through here. Mary went and she announced this to the disciples. She spoke this publicly to the group of disciples that was there. She said what the Lord had told her. For us, as we go from here, there's a couple things I think I, I want us to just hone in on really quick. And, and the first is, is this, that you must, as, as people who are thinking or considering Jesus, you must ask the question, who is Jesus and did he rise from the dead? If he do, did, it changes everything. Mary, and as we'll see, many others witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. I know there are so many questions that exist in this world, and those questions are okay, but the most important one to ask is, who is Jesus? Did he rise? And if he did, it means something. And what he tells us here is that it means that he has made a way for us to be a part of the family of God. Where God is our father and we are brothers and sisters. And one of the other main pieces that's happening is this reversal of what took place in the garden. Mary mistook Jesus to be a gardener, but you think that John is mistakenly calling Jesus a gardener in this moment? Every listener who heard this, they would have been directly brought back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where there also was a garden, where there was man and woman who walked with God in complete shalom, and something came in that broke that, and that was that Eve believed a lie that said that, hey, if you eat this, you will become like God. And here in this new garden that Jesus is bringing forth, the truth is ringing out, not just for all of mankind, but specifically for Mary and for women for all history. That no, it's not that you will be like me. The truth is that you now get to be with me and full heirs of the promise where you have value, dignity, and worth. Jesus is reversing the curse of the fall. And John is highlighting this even in our section. So friends, I don't know where you're at this morning. (laughs) I don't know, perhaps there is moments and reasons why you're weeping. Maybe there's moments where your heart is heavy. Wherever we are, we are at a point where we get to answer the question of who is Jesus. Jesus.